Hi, I'm Walter Harvey, the senior pastor at Parklawn Assembly of God. Parklawn is a church that both regular attenders and even unchurched people love to attend. Why? Perhaps it's because we seek real and authentic relationships. We're a multicultural church that's engaged in volunteerism and outreach in our community and world. Let's face it, we live in a real world. Young people are facing challenges in their school, relationships, and career choices. That's why we're focused on practical matters, such as making faith work in family, career, and community issues. If you're tired of church as usual, or you don't go to church at all, then Park Lawn Assembly of God could be the perfect place for you. Come check it out this weekend. We have services each Sunday morning at 8 a.m. and 11 a.m. Park Lawn Assembly of God is located at 3725 North Sherman Boulevard, right in the heart of the city of Milwaukee. You can contact us by phone or on the web at either 414-442-7411 or at www.parklawn.org. I hope to meet you soon. We're going to dive right in the word today, man. I am so thrilled about the book and the series that you have been going through on emotionally, spiritually healthy as a disciple. And I know God's going to speak to you today, but I want to give you this disclaimer. A disclaimer about today's message. It will be challenging, but I want you to understand that God always wants to challenge us. And so today we're going to share about a simple topic called brokenness, brokenness, brokenness. Touch your neighbor and ask him, say, are you broken? Are you broken? Are you broken? That neighbor was being a little stingy. Go ahead and look at the other neighbor and ask him, hey, are you broken? Are you broken? Are you broken? My friends, brokenness, 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 brokenness. Brokenness, as Peter Scazzaro said of the chapter of emotion, uh, spiritually, emotionally healthy, as he, as he wrote in this book, brokenness, church, is the very pathway to God's purpose for your life. Brokenness is the pathway for God's purpose on your life. If you want to, and if you want to receive purpose from God, not only do you have to seek him, but you must go through brokenness. God's, God's pathway to brokenness will be, will be stressful. It will, be, it will have tension in it. it will be, uh, uh, there will be times where you want to defend and combat and fight and throw up your hands. But God's pathway to brokenness is absolute necessary for the Christian believer. As a matter of fact, I'm going to show you today through some examples that God's brokenness for our lives is so, uh, so apparently evident that we can't get to the destination that he has marked out for us on his GPS by the guidance of the Holy Spirit unless we're willing to be broken. You see, the, the, the GPS of the Holy Spirit will tell us where to go, but if you're not broken, you'll go your own way. And God's pathway to, uh, to success and, and, and his glory being revealed in you is absolutely through the vehicle of brokenness. And so today, as we talk about this topic, I want to ask you the question, what is brokenness? What is brokenness? What, is it, what does it mean to you? What, is, what has it meant to you over the course of your life? What is brokenness? Today, as we use this kind of this foundation for brokenness, we, I want us to look in Matthew chapter 5, verse 3. It's a, it's a story of Jesus having a conversation with his disciples. 
And Jesus begins to tell his disciples something called the Beatitudes. And in Matthew chapter 5, verse 3, he says this. I want you to read this with me. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We're just going to keep that up there and unpack this just a moment. He says, blessed. Blessed. How many of you want to be blessed? Everybody. But how many of you want to be broken? Yay. You see, it's interesting because Jesus is letting us know here in this text that if you want to be blessed, you got to be poor in spirit, a.k.a. broken. He says if you want to be blessed and inherit the kingdom of heaven, it requires something of you. And what it requires is to be poor in spirit. What he means by that is this. This word poor is a word basically that we can relate to as rock bottom. You see, oftentimes we'll see people in the street and, and, and they're poor or, or they're, they're, they're living in poverty and they don't have the means and the necessary income to provide for themselves or their family. And we may give them some food or we may give them some financial means to help them and bless them and send them on their way. But it's interesting because in our society, we try to refrain from being poor, but Jesus actually sends us back there. But he says, I want you to be poor in spirit. It's kind of paradoxical because it's like, well, hold on. I don't want to be poor. I'm, try, I'm trying to make something of myself. And a lot of times what, what, we, what we'll do is we'll become accomplished individuals with education and status and, 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 and influence. And we'll find ourselves not being poor in spirit. We'll find ourselves being lifted up. And what Jesus was saying is if you want to really be blessed, you have to live at a spiritual state of being in rock bottom, being totally dependent upon me. That's what he's letting them know. If you want to be blessed, because there's another result to that. If you are blessed because you are poor in spirit, then guess what? The kingdom of heaven belongs to you. So what he was saying is, is everything that we can imagine in the heavenly realms, as the apostle Paul wrote in one of the uh, epistles that he wrote, he, he wrote about the, the inheritance that we have as believers of being in Christ. And here Jesus is giving us a glimpse of that even before Paul was on the scene, that in heaven, in the heavenlies, we obtain all of God's spiritual blessings. But it comes as a requirement by being broken and poor in spirit. He, he lets us know that if we are going to inherit God's kingdom and be blessed and demonstrate his blessedness on earth, then it requires a poor, broken spirit. And my friends, I'm not someone that's just here standing to you, sharing with you, giving you information from the Bible and the text and not being challenged to be broken myself. I'd rather not preach what I'm yet not experiencing. But even though I may not experience it, I have to preach it by faith. But I want to let you know that I'm on a journey in my own self being broken. In my, in my own life, God's been revealing things that in my life of tradition and culture that I grew up in that were traditional practices and, and behaviors and practices that I learned from my mama. My mama learned from grandmama and grandma learned from great-grandmama and great-grandmama learned from great-great-grandmama. And it was all these practices and, and, and behaviors that I learned and picked up as a result of what I'd seen and what I'd heard, but it wasn't necessarily godly. 
And so God's broken, breaking these things off of my life. Growing up in the streets, there, there were some practices that I had of manipulation and a little hustle that, that God's like, that, that can't be in the kingdom. That's a different principle than I have. And so God's doing things in me. And, and it's not only reflected in my personal life, it even extends to my marriage with my lovely wife. It even extends in my marriage of, of, of being open to hear her and, and, and being open to listen to her and, and, and sharing things with her and allowing God to, to use her to, to help me become more broken. You see, your wife or your husband is the greatest mirror that you can see in your marriage that God will use to help you become holy. A lot of times we enter into marriage selfishly. and We don't know it at the beginning, but God's setting us up the whole time. Marriage, we feel like, oh, it's for happiness, and I'm going to love the love of my life, and all that is good, fine, and dandy. But marriage, I want to tell you what Arthur Tim Keller said. Marriage is not merely for happiness. It's for holiness. God will break you in marriage. He'll use your spouse to, to show you the me that you don't see. And if you're not open to him or her and you're defensive and you're combative and you're argumentative and you, you push things away, you'll miss God's process of breaking you. And then he'll have to squeeze a little harder. And so it's not only is this being manifested in my physical, my, my personal life and my marriage, and since the ministry, how I lead and how I serve others, my attitudes, my perspectives being open, my, my countenance, how I communicate toward others. All this is intertwined in my own personal life, and God has a goal in, bro in brokenness. Not only for me, but for you, my friends. And the goal that God has is what Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 4, 7. This is God's goal. He says, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels. That the excellence of power may be of God and not of us. God's goal for our brokenness is that his power and his glory may be revealed in us. But the only way that can happen is, is he strips us from something called pride. And the opposite of pride is humility. And so God has to strip us of pride through breaking us through our life situations and hard trials and maybe sickness or maybe financial uh, difficulties or, or maybe a relationship difficulty. Whatever medium God chooses to use, he knows how to break you so that the glory that's within you may be revealed. It, it happened all throughout scripture. Old Testament Israel was God's chosen people. And when they had left Egypt, they had traveled and went over into the wilderness. And when they had left Egypt, the Bible says that they hadn't eat, eaten for about three days. And they were being just like most of us. My God, Moses, complaining, murmuring, cursing folk out. They were, come on, we saved, but we ain't super saved. You know what I'm talking about? They was in the wilderness traveling, mad at Moses, cursing him out, complaining, bickering, murmuring, all those things. And God was trying to break them. He was trying to break them to help them to understand that their master was no longer Pharaoh in Egypt. Even though they were eating steak and potatoes in Egypt, they had to understand that God was the God that created steak and potatoes. And they were trying to go back down to Egypt because of, what they're com of, of being comfortable. But God was trying to break them so that they can depend totally on him. 
Peter the apostle, when he spent three years with Jesus, is another example. Peter had spent so long with Jesus that he, he, he was like, oh, man, this is ride or die with Jesus. He was this I got you kind of guy. Peter was like the goon, the kingpin of Sherman Park. Right. He was the thug, man. He was, Jesus, I got your back. Ain't nobody going to mess with you. I'm your boy. That's who Peter was, right? And so Jesus is here talking to him on his way to the cross before he's arrested to go to, to trial and eventually to the cross to die. Jesus tells Peter, hey, um, Peter, uh, I, I need you to know that you're going to deny me three times. He said they're gonna they're gonna uh, they're gonna bru they're gonna uh, bruise the, the 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 shepherd and the sheep are gonna be scattered and he was talking about his disciples. He said Jesus basically he was telling a prophetic uh, uh, a moment that something would happen to him. He would be arrested and taken to trial and then crucified and he would have to die for three days. And Peter and the disciples were like, Oh no no no, Lord, not me. I'm, I'm gonna be with you, ride or die. And Peter was the main one. Oh, he was like Jesus. I hear what you're saying. I hear you talking, but I ain't listening. Like, I'm with you, even if I got to die with you. But Jesus said, I want you to know, Peter, uh, you're going to deny me three times. Peter's like, yeah, okay. And sure enough, as the, as the heat rises, Peter sees Jesus being tried and, 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 and being before the magistrates and the, the Sanhedrins and all the Jewish court. Uh, they ask Peter, are you one of him? Huh? Who are you talking to? Then the girl asked Peter, hey, I think you want you sound like them. Peter, like, I don't know him. And then they asked him a third time around the fire, and Peter get to cursing. And so I know Peter was thinking, oh man, like, how did Jesus know this? How did he know this was gonna happen? I'll tell you why. Because he knew Peter had to be broken before he commissioned him. That was his experience of being broken. But not only did Peter experience brokenness, Jesus experienced it. Because the Bible says that he that was rich became poor. He came to live incarnate, God in the flesh, so that he would take our sin penalty that, that was upon us. He lived a life that we never could have lived. God could have died and took the judgment of God upon himself to intercede for you and I. And Jesus actually was broken. You know why? Because when he went to the Garden of Gethsemane, which is the place called the pressing. Jesus was pressed. If you read the story in Matthew's gospel, later on in the book of Matthew, it tells that Jesus was in this garden and he says, can you pray with me for one hour? And he went to his disciples and they were silent or they were asleep. And then he went and said, father, 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 take this cup from me, please. And God was silent. And then he went back to his disciples Y'all know who here is still asleep. And then it pressed him to go back to God and, Father, Father, please. And he did this three times. If you don't think Jesus didn't struggle with submission, read that story. Jesus was being pressed. This place, Gethsemane, was, it spoke of the, where they grabbed the olives and pressed them and made olive oil out of them. Somebody would say, remember Bishop T.D. Jake said, how, how much did the olive oil cost? I say, if I ask you, how much your olive oil costs in your fridge? You say, oh, man, about $3 a bottle. That's not what it costs. That's what you pay for it. You see, Jesus being pressed that day cost him his life. But I need you to understand the reason why he was broken, the reason why he was pressed is because God saw glory in him. 
And the glory could only come out of him if he was broken. That day, God saw humanity at stake. He couldn't remove the cup from Jesus. Because if he did, none of us would have the privilege of sitting here hearing about Jesus Christ, the good news, the gospel, and his word. And so God saw glory in Jesus that had to be revealed. And the only way it could be revealed is if he was pressed and broken. What am I saying to you today? God's goal is for you as an earthen vessel. He has put treasure inside of you. Don't run away from brokenness. Don't defend it. Don't combat it. Don't argue with it. Receive the seasons of life, the situations, the trials, the circumstances that God uses to break you, to depend totally on him and walk in humility because he has greater in you. But it's difficult. It's like we don't pray, pray prayers to be broken. We pray prayers to be blessed. Remember what happened to Jacob when he was wrestling with God. God had to break him. Literally, physically. The socket of his hip was dislocated. The Bible says Jacob walked with a limp for the rest of his life. He was asking God to bless him. But in the middle of blessing. There was a breaking. In the middle of his blessing, there was a break. What am I saying to you? You're asking God to break, bless you. But God wants to let you know that he wants to bless you, but he's not blessing you for you. He's blessing you because of the glory in you. And he has to break you in order for the glory to come out that will bless you. And so as we look at this topic today of brokenness, I want you to be aware of the goal that God has. As he says in 2 Corinthians 4, 7, there's a treasure in you. And God wants you to know that that treasure wants to manifest the power of God. That it may not be of you. That's what the apostle Paul said. He said, we have this treasure inside of us, this earthen vessels we are. He says, but the, the excellency of power, Paul did mighty things for God, but he never ever took credit he never ever took fame he never ever took the fortune for it it was all because of the excellency of the power of God the glory of God that was in him that was able to seep out of him as he was broken so today as we kind of think about this topic I want to ask you a question here I want to ask you this quick question where are you on this journey of brokenness? Where are you at in your life? There's a few questions from the book that uh, the series that Bishop has been doing and we've been involved in are based out of. And there's a few questions. There's four of them. I, I'm going to just walk through these quickly. But later on, just in a, in a few moments, as we end our time today, we're going to go back through these. And I want you to rate yourself one through five. One being, uh, I'm not very good. Five being, I'm super saved. And I hope that most of you won't rate a five. <laughs> Praise Jesus. But I, I want to ask you the first question. And these are like, ah! Questions. Watch. Listen to this. Number one. I often admit when I'm wrong. Ah! It says, I often admit when I'm wrong, readily asking for forgiveness from others. Help us, Lord. Touch a neighbor and say, help me, Lord. Help me, Lord. 
You see, that's why I like church, because it's a hospital. Church ain't for Pharisees, people that think they got it all together. Well, I am blessed, highly favored of the Lord. No, 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 no. Church is for broken people. In this first question, ask the question. I often admit when I'm wrong, asking for forgiveness from others. We'll come back. The second question. Those close to me would say that I am not easily offended or hurt. Yes. This is a good one. Good question. Those close to me would say that I'm not easily offended or hurt. The third question is this. I am constantly want you to hear that word constantly not sometimes not every now and then constantly open to learning and applying constructive criticism and feedback that others may have for me I'm open to constructive criticism and feedback that others may have to me not sometimes but constantly the fourth question the fourth question the fourth question these are good Others would say that I am slow to speak. Slow to speak. Quick to listen. Good at seeing things from others' perspectives or from their perspective. This is my thorn in the flesh. This is number four right here. This makes me just, just, yeah, just, yeah. This right here. My wife will tell you that. I, I am awful at this. I'm awful at this. I, I, I'm always seeing things from Will's perspective. I grew up, I had eight sisters and me. I was the last kid. I felt just like that, how somebody said out there, I felt just like you did, eight sisters and it was me. And I was always right. I was the golden boy. Mama gave me whatever I wanted. Got to stay out late beyond the lights going off. Got all, and, and I was the I was the one that always was right. And I had to learn, even as I'm married in ministry, man, this is unhealthy. I, I shut down members of my team because I don't value their perspective. I, I'll keep my wife quiet because I don't value her perspective. I, I'll limit the counsel that I receive because I don't value their perspective. So these are four questions that we're going to dig a little bit today. Is that okay? Some of y'all get y'all galls out of your purse. Get your galls out because I want to let you know that the Bible is going to do surgery on us today. But it's a good surgery because surgery is meant for us to come out stronger than we were when we came in. And so I want to allow you to know that God's going to do some surgery on us in this, this moment as we look at this text and I want you to be open and transparent. Today we're going to look at David's story. Psalms 51. Psalms 51. That's what we're going to camp out here just for the rest of our time. We're going to look at David's story. And David, I'm just run by this real quick. David's story is, is so awesome because uh, David, David had this little issue, as many of us may be aware of, with this lady named Bathsheba. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. That got David in trouble. And David was, was supposed to be at war one day with, with, Bash, with, 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 the, with the troops. And 2 Samuel 11 and 12 kind of gives you this story if you want to read it for tonight and this week. But David was supposed to be off at war with the troops. And, and David decided to stay back. 
He decided to stay back, and he knew that he should have been at war. One day he was on top of his king's palace, and he looked down, and in the window he saw this beautiful old naked lady. Her name was Bathsheba. And David said, ah, oh, this battle was going on. I could just read this text there. And David said, okay, go send that woman up to me. And, and later on in the story, we saw that he shouldn't have sent the messenger to go get Bathsheba because she was a married woman, he was a married woman, and his whole motive for going to get her was just all mad. And so the Bible tells us later on, David actually connects with Bathsheba, and they have what we would call intercourse. And they have an adulterous affair. And this completely violates the commandments of God. And so David tries to cover up his sin, which like most of us would. David tries to cover up his sin, and, and, and he, he goes and calls Uriah, Bathsheba's husband, back from war. And he has this little tactic that he tries to do. Let me just tell you about the tactic that David had. The tactic that he had was, hey, I, I want you to go get Uriah, bring him home, and give him a week off. Go and send him home to be with his wife so that they can connect. They husband and wife. And he, he, he tried to put under what he had done. And he got news that Bathsheba had, uh, had, had become with child. So David's like, oh, oh I got to give Uriah more than one week. He's going to need a couple weeks. He's telling him, go home and go just be with your wife. And Uriah was like, no. Sir, I, I, I have too much honor for my troops and my brethren that are at war. I can't be at home with my wife while they're fighting for their lives. And the story goes on to tell us that Uriah never did go and see his wife, so they didn't connect intimately. So David knew he was in trouble now. So all of a sudden, how is Uriah at home but my wife becomes pregnant? Just didn't add up right. And this, 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 this caused some tension in David, and so he decided to go ahead and put Uriah on the front lines of the battlefield to increase the probability of his lifespan, declining rather. And so he finds out that Uriah was killed at battle. And he gives Bathsheba about a week to mourn and all of a sudden the text tells us that now he betrothes her. They get married after her week or so of mourning. This is a sure tactic that David has and it's full of pride and evil. But, but God sent somebody named Nathan. He was a prophet. He heard from God. He spoke direction from God to the king at that time. And, and Nathan, Nathan calls out to David and he tells them this riddle, this story. And he says to David, you know, he's, he's giving him this parable and David's listening to it. And he's getting angry because he's like, man, who is that? Uh, whoever you're talking about, they deserve judgment. They deserve justice. And they should be killed. And Uriah finally looks at David and said, hey, David, that's you. And I love to hear what David's response was. This is what he said, 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 13. This is what he said. He said, I have sinned against the Lord. The king of Israel, who could have put Nathan to death to continue to cover up his sin, he responded in brokenness. He said, I have sinned against the Lord. And today as we unpack Psalms 51, a few points in this scripture, I want you to see David's repentance and brokenness that, that goes on to, to be called by God as the man after God's own heart. That's what God spoke of David. He's a man after my own heart. And the reason why God spoke this is because David lived in a posture of repentance and brokenness. 
Psalms 51, David starts out asking for the mercy of God. He starts out asking for the mercy. And I love this text because it helps us to understand that we must become aware of our sin and kindness of God. We must, as believers, become aware of our sin and God's loving kindness. Listen to what David says in Psalms 51, verse 1. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your loving kindness. He says, have mercy on me, meaning I deserve to get one thing, but because of your loving kindness, you don't give it to me. I don't know about you, but I think back on some of the things that I used to be in and that I should have got as a result of what I was doing, the cause and effect syndrome, but it was only the mercy of God that stepped in right away and, and, and put a shield of protection around me. It was only the mercy of God that covered me when that transfer truck was passing by drunk. It was only the mercy of God. And David says, God, have mercy on me. Give me what I don't deserve. But you do that because of your loving kindness. My friends, we are sitting here today, for those of us that have accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, we are sitting here today under the sound of my voice listening to God's word simply because God is a loving, kind Father. The gospel message is a message of love and kindness. What do I mean by that? God's gospel was to send his son, Jesus Christ, into the world, a perfect, perfect son who never had sinned a day in his life, who was born to the Virgin Mary, who allowed Jesus to put on the visible form of God and live out the word on earth. Jesus Christ became the substitute for you and me. He had never sinned, but he was living his life in place of you and me as sinners so that when he took the cross and he took judgment, the judgment of God that separated him for three days from a relationship with his father, he had in mind you and me. He took our sin, our sin penalty and bared it on the cross through his life, death, burial and resurrection. Therefore, when we put our trust in Jesus, we now have an ability to have a relationship with God the Father, not because of our righteousness, but because of his righteousness and what he's done through the cross, his death, burial in resurrection that is good news that is loving kindness because if he had not done that we all would be doomed to judgment which is eternal separation from a holy loving perfect but just God David says I'm appealing to your loving kindness God show me a mercy David says I'm aware of my sins that's a, that's a, we ought to become a, aware of our sins David says, I'm aware of my sin, God, and, and I can't do anything to change me, but it's your loving kindness that can do it. Some of you are in a situation today, and you cannot do anything about your situation, but you must appeal to the loving kindness of God because he's the miracle worker. He's the way maker. He's the light in the darkness, as the song was saying. And my friends, God is a merciful God. There is nothing that you have done or nothing that you will do that can ever separate you from the love of God, as the word of God tells us. The only thing that keeps you from God is sin. And that's why he calls David to become aware of it. He, he becomes aware of his sin, but also of God's loving kindness. The other thing that I need to tell you, Klein, is, is that we've got to avoid the blame of others. Y'all quiet in here. We can't blame people for our sin. 
We can't blame people for our hurt and our pain. Well, she did this to me. Well, he did this when I grew up. Well, my uncle did this. Well, my aunt did this. Or my friend did this. No, 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 no. I want you to hear what David says in the fourth verse. Listen to what he says. He says, against you and you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight. He's talking to God. He said, God, I, I can't blame anyone else. I can't blame someone else for what, what happened to me. I've got to take ownership. I, I, I did this thing. It may feel like uh, Bathsheba seduced me when she saw me looking and she started twerking a little bit. No, 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 no. No, it, it had nothing to do with that. See, see, he, he, he may have felt like, oh, well, Uriah, man, I told him to spend a couple days off so that he could have been with his wife. And I don't know if the baby mom, that may not be my baby mama, but you no, know, it wasn't anything to do with that. It was David. It's David. He said, God, against you and you only have I sinned. My friends, we have to take accountability. For our hurt, for our pain, we got to take accountability for our wrongs and the things that we do toward others. We've got to take accountability. And David shows us this here in Psalms 51. He avoided blaming others. He avoided blaming others. Not only did he avoid blaming others, he did something that I think is so key for us to make sure that we grasp. He asked God to cleanse his heart. And renew it a right spirit in him. He, he said, oh God, oh God, create in me a clean heart. And renew in me a right spirit. That David wanted to know, listen God, I need you not only to wash out my transgressions or blot out my transgressions and cleanse me from my sin and wash me of, of iniquity. I don't need you to just do those, but I need you to clean my heart out. Because if you don't clean my heart out, if you don't dig what's in me, out of me, then I'm going to continue to do the same thing that I've always done. I'm going to continue to struggle with the same things I'm always struggling with. So you got to clean out my heart. Got to clean out my heart. He says, I'm going to clean out my heart. The heart affects the spirit that you have. Uh, have you ever just been around somebody? This has got a, just a funky spirit. Oh, that's just nasty to be around. You, they just, they just <laughs> face. Every time you see them, they face. They just look. You can't. You go to them, you're like, oh, pray for your spirit. Pray for you today in Jesus' name. But some of us are the same way. Because things that are in our heart. That's why God said in Jeremiah, he says, listen, the heart is the most deceitful thing above all. That's why Jesus even said in the Gospels, he told the disciples, listen, what comes out of the heart, what comes out of the mouth, it starts in the heart. That's why he also told the disciples, listen, the things like evil and adultery and murder and, and, and slander, all these things come out of the heart. And that's why God says, I think it's in Jeremiah, he says, who knows the heart? He does. And so David's saying to God, God, you know my heart. Isn't it so interesting? Well, I love when you hear people, you know my heart. No, I don't. It's wicked. Bless God. I don't know your heart. God knows it, and you and God need to have a conversation. David says, clean my heart, God. I don't know about you, you all, but I want to live a life of fulfilling the purpose of God on my life. I want to live a life that helps other people be called into purpose. 
I want to live a life that allows God's glory to come out of me so that others would, would, would see God's presence and his glory. That's why God says the glory of God shall cover the earth. It only is going to happen through people like you and me. But if we're not broken, God's glory can never be really revealed in and through us. And so David says, God created me. A clean, I can just see his plead and his brokenness. The Apostle Paul talks about it in 1 Corinthians 2. He talks about how, how sorrowfulness, godly sorrowfulness leads to repentance. Church, we've got to get to a point where when we do things that are ungodly, when we're pride and we're wicked and we're evil, not just blatant sins, but sins of pride and arrogance and selfishness, those sins in our heart have to be cleansed. They have to lead us to being sorrowful that, God, I don't want to be that way. God, I don't want to talk like that. God, I don't want to act like that. I want to be clean, creating me a clean heart and renewing me a right spirit. Give me a right spirit. Give me a devoted spirit. That's what, if you really dig this text, he says, I need a devoted spirit to stay connected to God because sin is the very thing that will separate me from him. In the beginning, when God instituted this brokenness principle in the earth, it, it, was, it, it, it will manifest itself in two ways. One, it will separate you from God when you're not broken because you're prideful. And two, it will separate you from relationships. People won't want to deal with you. People won't come around you anymore. I've experienced this in my own life. People won't tell you the truth because they're like, you're harder. You won't listen. And God wants us to know that we have to have, ask him to create in us a clean heart and give us a right spirit, a devoted spirit within us. And my friends, this is what I would tell you. God, he doesn't want just sacrifices. You see, you see we can get caught up and confused sometimes. God, I, I come to church. Come to youth group. Come to my young adults group. I go to my campus ministry. I, I, I give out of what I really don't have. I'm tired. I'm giving offerings. I'm a, I'm a part of the, the, the growth fund. I, I do all. I come on Wednesday night as fire, and I'm serving here, and I'm doing all these things. And, and David says later on in his Psalms, verse 16 and 17, Oh, Lord, this is what he says, For you do not desire sacrifice, or else I would give it. David had to understand, God, you, you don't need the burnt offerings and the lambs. You, you, you don't want any of that. That's all of what's to come, being Christ. But what you really need, this is what he says, this is, this is what you really want, the sacrifices of God. If you really want to sacrifice for God, they are a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart, a heart that's Humble. Hummus is the Greek word for humble. It comes from the ground. Many of you love hummus. And, and humble being means to be low, to be on the ground, to be, to be lowly, to be meek. Jesus said, if you want to exalt yourself, I'll humble you. If you want to humble yourself, I'll exalt you. The Bible says in the book of James that God actually resists the proud. Meaning he opposes people that are prideful. He's pushing against them. And when you have God pushing against you, guess what, brothers and sisters, boys and girls, my friends, you cannot win. But he gives grace to the humble. 
It gives grace to the lowly. What am I saying today, Parkline? We have to make sure that we become aware of our sin, but yet God's loving kindness, that he gives us mercy to go beyond what we've done. He gives us mercy when we have done things that we wish we shouldn't have done. He gives us mercy to, be, to live beyond that and to, to grow deeper into him because his love is unconditional. We have to avoid blaming other people for our faults and our hurts and our pain. We have to, be, we have to avoid that and dig deeper and allow God to help us figure out what's in me. How have I been a part of this process? How can I change my thinking? How can I change my thinking that will lead to my behaviors being changed? How can I allow God's word to transform and renew my mind? How can I ask God to clean my heart? What are some things in my heart that are unholy, that are unrighteous, that is prideful, that's arrogant, that's selfish? What are some things in my heart that's causing my spirit to be offended, that's causing my spirit to be defensive, that's causing my spirit to be hurt. What are some things in me? It's got to start with me. With me. With me. And so we're going we're gonna to dive back into some of those questions. Dive back into some of those questions because, you see, God's looking for broken people. People ask me all the time, Brother Marcus, I tell people, I'm not impressed with me. Yeah, I'm not. My wife would tell you, man, I just want to be holy. I just want to be humble. I don't always want to go through the process of what it takes to be humble. But by golly, I just want God to be glorified in me. Because Hebrews tells us, without holiness, no one will see the Lord. I just want to be holy. I just want to be an example. I just want God to glorify himself through me. And he wants that for all of us. That's what Jesus lived and embodied for us, church. This was a God who in the flesh who became God in the flesh who was in heaven who was rich became poor to live as a servant to touch the earth that he created that was filled with corruption and sin. He came to embody brokenness for us. Jesus did it. We have no better than an example of Christ our Lord and Savior himself. If we want to be humble look at his example. And so with that I'm going to challenge you in these last few moments as we get ready to wrap up our time together to kind of look at some of these questions that we looked at in the beginning. You ready? I know you're not. <laughs> we looked at the first question, and we're going to put a scripture with it. The first question was, I often admit when I'm wrong, readily asking for forgiveness from others. You know the answer to that. I want you to rate yourself from one to five. Just write it down. If your spouse here tonight, you guys go home and talk about it. If your friends here, significant other, go home and talk about it. Go meet at a coffee shop or something. Ask your kids. Ask your kids these things. Your kids will give you a perspective you never even thought was real. They'll tell you about yourself. You may not want to know it. They will tell you. But it's good. And so I often ask, I often admit when I'm wrong and readily ask forgiveness from others. Listen to what Matthew 5, 23, 24 says. Listen to what this says. It says, therefore... If you bring your gift to the altar and there be and there remember that your brothers has something or your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. It don't tell you just to go anyway. Guess what it tells you? Go and be reconciled to your brother. This word reconciled means that this relationship is not in harmony how it used to be. That there's, there's a gap in between. 
And so, and so being reconciled means to, to bring that relationship back into harmony and peace to where it's stronger than it was before. And so that's exactly what God does for us. Sin separates us, but Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, once we put our trust in him, God reconciles us back to himself. So this is what he says in, in layman's terms. He says, when you go on to pray and bring a gift to the altar and pray to me as, as God your father, he was giving them this, this illustration. He says, if you have someone that you have an ought against or you know they have an ought against you, stop and go get that thing settled first. Because I don't want you bringing a gift to the altar if you know there's an ought and there's a relationship that you need to have reconciled and that needs peace because God is a God of peace and he wants us to imitate him as we imitate Christ. And so he is a God of peace. He's saying, I want you to go and get peace in that relationship first. And as the Bible says, sometimes you may be having to have peace, but the Bible tells us here that be at peace with all men as far as it depends on you. And so we understand here that, that Christ is letting us know, church, if we are going to be broken, we have to be able to readily admit that we're wrong and even ask others for forgiveness. I'll tell you a quick story, quick story, quick story. I was a kid growing up, and my mother, all these eight girls, you know, I was a little uh, mischievous, as you can see by the smile. And uh, my sisters, you know, they would, they would try to gang up on me. And so I had some tactics that, that worked well at night, like the military. And uh, I remember doing some things to one of my sisters. And my mom caught me and she says, come here, boy. And when I heard, you know, when your mom called you by your full name, you're in trouble. And she called me by my full name. I said, oh, man. And mom brought me in and she said, apologize to your sister. And I was looking down. And she said, look at him. Oh, gosh. And it was so painful. Painful. God was breaking me as a kid. And my mom said, look up, boy, and tell her you're sorry. I said, I'm sorry. She said, that ain't it. I said, Mom, what else you want me to do? She said, you know what to do. Tell her why you're sorry. Ah! I said, I'm sorry for burning your hair at night. My sister looked at me. She wanted to punch me. My mama said, that ain't it. I said, Mom, what else am I supposed to do? She said, tell her that you're sorry for what you did and ask her for forgiveness. As a kid, under the leadership of my mother, she was teaching us that when relationships you know that have been severed because of something you've done or what somebody else has done to you and how you feel. It's up to you to go and reconcile that. And it's not just up to you to reconcile and say, I'm sorry, or hey, I know there's some tension between us, but we cool. No, 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 no. Dig deep and say, hey, what is it that has offended you that I've done? I'm sorry for what I have done. I'm sorry that it's caused this pain towards you. I'm sorry that it's caused hurt towards you. I'm sorry that I did this or I did that. I need to ask you to forgive me. Mother taught us that as a kid. And that's what the scriptures tell me. Am I? Do I admit when I'm wrong? Am I readily asking for forgiveness from others? The second one, it goes on. This is the second question. Second question. Rate yourself, rate yourself, rate yourself. These close or those close to me would say that I'm not easily offended or hurt. This is a tough one. Because we can all 
be so easily offended. I grew up in this household, man, where it's just constant chaos. Dysfunctionality. We had the fun and dysfunctionality. And constant chaos and confusion, conflict. And it was always offended spirits going around. People were just offended for no reason. Because you said this, or how you said this, and you did this, and why did this. And it was like, man, and as I got older and began to get an understanding, I just I started listening to it. And every now and then one of my sisters would call me and she said, I'm talking, and she called me talking about one of my other sisters. I said, listen, oh, no, 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 no. I don't want, no, 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 I don't want to hear that. What you mean? I said, let me help you, sis. You're offended. You shouldn't be talking to me. You got to go talk to her. You're offended. My sister, go quiet. Yeah, you're right, bro. I'm like, I just want to help you to just sit with the Lord and ask him and give, ask him to give you grace to go and talk. But my friends, listen, we've got to understand that we don't have to be so easily offended and hurt. Listen to what this scripture says in 2 Corinthians, no, uh, 1 Corinthians 13, 5. Listen to what it says. It's talking about love, love. Because love, guess what? Love, the Bible says, love covers the multitude of sins. So guess what it says? It says, love does not behave rudely or offensively. It says, love does not seek its own, basically its own agenda. It's about me. It says, no, love is not provoked. It's not easily stared and, 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 and pried up. Love does not think evil. It's so easy to think evil. You know what? I'm going to get them back. I got them. I'm going to just love them from a distance. I love hearing that. I'm going to love them from a distance. That's impossible. The devil is a lie and there's no truth in him. Christ Jesus didn't love us from a distance. And the Bible tells us we can't avenge others. As a matter of fact, serve them, love them, and be humbly before them, and you'll heap coals of fire up on the head. Because your servant heart, that even though you want to avenge them, you decided not to because the Bible says God has all avengers in his hand. He avenges people. He'll show people if they've hurt you, but you have a part to do. And this is what I love about it. We have to understand, church, that the people close to me, what do they say about you being so easily offended and hurt? Rate yourself. Ask somebody. Ask your colleague. Ask your coworker. Ask your child. Ask your husband. Ask your wife. Ask your relative. Am I easily offended? You'd be so surprised of your, their responses. Am I easily hurt? How, how do I deal with hurt? Do I isolate myself? Do I lash out because I'm hurt? Do I angrily respond and, and, and include other people because I'm hurt? Ask people those questions. Dig. Become broken. The third, the third question is this. Rate yourself. Rate yourself. It says, I'm constantly open to learning and applying constructive criticism and feedback that others might have for me. Constantly. Constantly. Not sometimes. Not to get things you want to hear, but the things that it hurts to hear. That's the difference. Oh, we can want to hear things, but things that we don't want to hear, those are the things that actually help us. Michael Jordan said it best. He didn't win six championships at the Chicago Bulls because he was a success. He won six championships because he learned how to fail that would help lead him to success. We rarely learn anything in our success. It's when we learn how to fail that it helps us to succeed. 
And so, and so as we look at this, this question, and you're constantly open to learning and applying constructive criticism and feedback that others may have for you. Look at this text, Proverbs 16, 17, and then Proverbs 17, 10. Listen to what this says in Proverbs 16, 17. I love this text. Proverbs 16, 17. If we don't have it, I'll, I'll go to the next one. If it's Proverbs 17, 10, if we have it, we might not have it. But it, it speaks of this. It speaks of this. Proverbs 17, 10. I love what it says. It, it talks about the rebuke, which means to stop and give instruction. But it, it, it shares it in light. Here it is. It's the highway of the upright. Proverbs 16, 17. Thank you so much. The, the highway of the upright is to depart from evil. So our, as, the, as the righteous people, we're to depart from evil. And he who keeps his way preserves his soul. So he who walks in the way of uprightness and righteousness keeps his soul. But look at what Proverbs 17.10 says, if we have that. Thank you so much. It says, rebuke is more effective. Oh, we hate being rebuked. You don't tell me how to do this. Girl, who you talking to? <laughs> rebuke is more effective for a wise man than a hundred blows on a fool. The Bible tells us that fools rarely listen to rebuke. Fools, dis fools despise instruction. But it says if, if, if we are wise, then we will receive a rebuke, meaning stop. You're going in the wrong direction. I want to help you go in the right direction. We receive rebuke as this, uh, uh, this demeaning aspect of, of Christianity or someone's condescendingly talking about me. No, no, no. A rebuke is to help you stop going in a direction you're in and help you start going in a direction that's leading towards God's purpose for your life. And so we got to ask ourselves as people, am I open to rebuke? Am I open to somebody giving me constructive criticism and feedback? Or do I defend it? Am I combative towards it? Am I willing to submit myself to it and allow them to speak into me because they see a me that I don't see? Because there is a me that you don't see, church. And other people see it. And if we're not willing to invite their perspective, you don't get the whole picture of who you are. You'll walk around thinking you're somebody who you are that you really aren't. I'm living it. I'm a, I'm a, per, a personal witness. I've done it. And I've had to allow other people to speak into my life to tell me, Will, when you do this, Will, when you said this, Will. And I'm like, oh, gosh, that hurts. But thank you, Lord, because you're helping me to get better. Rate yourself, that question three. Last one is question four. Question four, rate yourself. One through five, one through five. Where am I? Others would say that I'm slow to speak. <laughs> Quick to listen and good at seeing things from their perspective. I told y'all earlier, this is my throwing in the side. What do others say about you? Are you quick to speak? Slow to listen? Good at seeing things from their perspective? Let me read you what James said, chapter 1, verse 19, in closing here. I love this scripture. Write this down. Put it on your car visor. Put it on your, your phone screen. Put it on your mirror at home. Remember this scripture. The word is, is edification for our souls, church. But re remember this scripture. This is what it says. It says, so then, my beloved brethren. That includes the sisters, too. Y'all ain't left out. It says, so then, my beloved brethren. Let every man be quick to hear, swift, swift to hear, 
quick to hear. Let every woman be quick to hear. Slow to speak. Listen, sometimes we're so quick to speak, we don't even hear what other people have said. We get so offended right away. It's a subconscious in us. I know you ain't talking to me. Who you talking to? Slow to speak. Quick to hear. Sometimes we're so quick to speak, church, that we miss the, in, the intentionality of what others was trying to say, but we're impacted by what we heard because we didn't listen to them. We were so quick to speak. And James tells us, be quick to hear or listen. Slow to speak. This is the last thing I love. He says, slow to wrath. Guess what that word wrath means? Anger. Some of us, if we could be honest, man, we're angry people. I came from it. Dad was abusive to mom. His dad, he watched his dad die when he was nine because my grandmother hit him over the head with a cast iron skillet and killed him because he was an alcoholic and abusive toward him. My dad was the oldest son and he watched this. He was angry. And then it transcended, it, it, it kind of went down to him physically abusing and verbally abusing my mom. And I watched that, I lived that, so I had to deal with anger in my life. Like, God, I don't, I don't want to be angry. I'm going to tell you, when I'm in a conversation with my wife, I learned this from a pastor in Dallas, Texas. Sometimes I have to literally get on my knees when I'm talking to her to humble myself and to make sure I don't rise above who she is, to make sure that I value her and who she is and who God's created her to be. And she'll sit down with me, and I just have to get on my knees. That's just will because I understand the past, and I'm like, uh-uh, I'm not going to. I need to be humble. I just need to listen to you, baby. I just need to hear you. My friends, we got to understand that God doesn't want us to be angry. There are things in our life that God wants to break, church, and I'm telling you, if we allow him to break it and be transparent, he already knows what he needs to break and how he's going to break it in you. But if we're willing to go through that season, there's a promise land on the other side. James says, slow to anger. This is the greatest part of this verse, verse 20, this verse, this, these two verses. This, he says, for the wrath of man, that's us, for the anger of man, our anger, our offensiveness, our combativeness, our argumentativeness does not produce the righteousness of God. Guess what that means? Anger is going to lead to sin. Anger is going to lead to sin. Not being slow to speak. And quick to hear, it's going to lead to sin. It doesn't produce the righteousness of God. God's pathway for us, church, is to be broken. I had a pastor ask me once, he said, Will, how's God doing all this through your ministry? He was honest with me. He said, I've been pastoring in the inner city for years. I haven't seen nearly as many people come to Christ as you have. And I was listening to him. Church, he was hurt. He was hurt. He was bitter. He was upset. And he said, how, how is it that God's doing all this in your ministry at such a rapid rate? And I sat there and I said to him, I said, you know, it's all him. I can't take the credit for none of it. I said, there's two things that I learned early in ministry. Fast and pray. And I said, 
fasting breaks me of who I am. It destroys my flesh. Prayer allows me to tap into who God is and forget about who I am because I'm totally dependent on him. I can't change myself. I can't even change my own thinking. It's the word that changes my thinking. It's the word that gives me strength from day to day. It's the word that, that, that pierces the heart of people when I speak. It's not will. It's, my, it's not my ability. It's God's anointing that's on my life, but the anointing rests upon me and his glory is within me. And the only way God's glory is to be manifested through me is that he continuously breaks me. God's goal is to break you. Will you let him? You can be afraid because you don't know how that looks, but the Bible tells us trust in the Lord. With all thy heart. Lean not to our own understanding, but to acknowledge him in every way, and he'll direct our paths. What am I saying to you? God is going to break each and every one of you in his own individual way. Your breaking won't look like the next person's next to you. Why? Because God knows how he has to break you and what he has to break off of you to allow what's in you to come out of you. Today, I'm going to invite you on a journey with me and with this church and with your senior leader, Bishop Walter Harvey. He shared his heart with me before he went to Zambia. And Bishop is in the season of his own life. Maybe you don't know this, but I meet with him very often as an accountability partner. He's been a mentor to me. And he's on a journey of brokenness just like his church is. Because God can't break the church without breaking the leader. The, 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 uh, the anointing runs from the head down the beard. Are you willing to be broken so that what's in you will come out of you? Are you willing to humble yourself before your wife, your spouse, your colleague, your boss, your, the community, the people you serve at church? Are you willing to not be combative and not defensive and not argumentative? And are you willing to not be easily hurt and offended but just to walk in the spirit and resist the flesh? Are you willing to be broken? If you are willing to be broken, I'll give you this absolute promise. God uses broken people. Parkline Assembly of God exists to share the light, life, and love of Jesus Christ. As a part of this mission, join us for special services, workshops, and encounters. Parkline Assembly of God is located at 3725 North Sherman Boulevard, right in the heart of the city of Milwaukee. You can contact us by phone or on the web at either 414-442-7411 or at www.parklawn.org. I hope to meet you soon.